What's up, everyone? This is Lito, and you're listening to Crypto Testers, a podcast keeping you informed about all the coolest projects in the crypto space. In this episode, I talk to Dylan Keller from Index Finance. Indices are probably the hottest product category in the DeFi space right now. Probably everyone knows indices or ETFs from the traditional finance world, like the S&P 500. They track the performance of entire market sectors or baskets of assets and allow investors to get easy exposure without having to actively manage their portfolio every day, buying and selling various assets. An index takes care of that. DeFi indices are even more interesting because they are decentralized and let governance token holders decide which indices to deploy next and how to manage them. I'm super happy to have Dylan on the podcast as it's currently one of the fastest rising projects in the DeFi space, rising from zero to 17 million total value locked or assets under management in just about three weeks. Welcome to the Crypto Testers podcast. Thanks. Yeah, really happy to discuss this more than impressive rise of indexed finance. I think this podcast for me is a bit of a special one because I've actually witnessed a lot of this rise firsthand as I got a bit involved in the project, helped you a little bit. I would really like to go through the entire story together with you again as I think it really exemplifies how something can go from just an idea to a project with like impressive traction in yeah just a couple of weeks, especially as a solo founder with no VC backing whatsoever. And in my opinion, this is really only possible in DeFi. So let's maybe start at the very, very beginning. When did you first have the idea to build Index? It was somewhere in, I think, maybe September or a little earlier of last year. I had been wanting to build some kind of DeFi thing just as a side project. And initially, the idea was to make some kind of like, like a hedge fund DAO. The idea would be that you'd have a bunch of different asset managers and they would each have to like buy into the DAO and then they would have some allocation of the capital. Basically, just whoever had like the best strategy that was performing the best would get more capital, you know, and it would just kind of accumulate to see whoever had the best strategy. And the way I was going to measure that was to use some kind of index of other DeFi products to just compare like what's the rate of return for a given asset manager compared to just like a benchmark basically yeah exactly and this was just like a random side project that i wasn't really planning to do anything with it was just kind of you know something to start working with DeFi projects yeah Um, so you needed you needed an index as part of this product because you needed to benchmark the performance of these managers. And so you just decided to build the index. Yeah, exactly. The more I looked at it, the more I realized that that was going to be a lot easier to build and it would be much more useful for all kinds of different things in DeFi. I see. And when you say this was a side project, 
what were you doing at the time? What was your main job? I was mostly working on just different personal projects. I had just recently finished making a blockchain for Dharma and I was just trying to figure out what I was going to do going forward. Yeah, so I was working on this and I think I was still working on Interstate at the time, which was another uh, L2 blockchain that I had been working on. Um, at the time, I think I was still spending most of my time working on that. Okay, so when you say this was your first kind of DeFi experience, you were not completely new to the world of blockchain. You you actually had built entire layer two networks yourself. So yeah, you were predestined to start something in DeFi. <laughs> yeah, I had been working on Ethereum stuff for a while. I just hadn't really built anything in the financial space of it. Okay. And so you started this in September and I think the launch was end of December. So that's really the time it took to get everything ready. Can you tell us a bit about about this period, how, how it was like to uh, get this thing going? Yeah. So from like the beginning of September to maybe the middle of October, most of the time was spent trying to figure out how to structure an index for DeFi. There's a lot of complicated pieces of building something like that. So initially, I was planning on building something kind of similar to Set Protocol, where you know the idea would be you just have a specific ratio of like the index that you're going to hold in each asset, and then you just wait until like the next rebalance period. So like the same way that like the S and P works or the Dow Jones Industrial Average, or any kind of typical index, you just, you know, you, you use some weighting algorithm, you hold your assets in the portfolio, but you don't do anything with them. You wait a few months and then you rebalance, and then you do the same thing over again. So I, I had started out building that, and I just talked to different people who I knew about the idea, and everybody kept bringing up Balancer as something that would be really useful for this. And initially, I didn't really pay that much attention to it. But after like the third person mentioned Balancer to me, I started looking into that and decided to kind of switch over the the base of how like the portfolio is structured. And then, yeah, I don't know, I finished that in I think like early October and then got it audited and then just spent most of the time between then and December working out bugs, figuring out the front end, and so on. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the polishing. And, yeah, we're going to talk more about the product itself, which is really the, the most interesting part. But I would like to quickly zoom in on the launch period. So, like, after you deployed this thing to mainnet, uh, end of December... What happened? Like, how does it feel to deploy something like this out in the wild? And then, you know, how did like first users start to deposit their money? I mean, this end of December was like four weeks ago. So maybe you can just like give us a little summary of, of the last weeks. Sure. So when we first launched it on mainnet and then we put it on to, you know, verify the contracts on Etherscan, within about an hour, some completely random person. We hadn't told anybody about the project yet. 
but some random person just like hopped into our Discord because I guess he was like trolling Etherscan and just looking for new contracts and found the website. That was kind of funny. I actually talked to someone um, in the Discord and asked him how like he had known about the project and he told me that he started following you guys even before because he was tracking contracts that were deployed to the Kovan testnet on Etherscan. And so he already knew about you guys before you even launched the mainnet. So there are people out there who are really trying to find the next cool thing, yeah, even on testnet. So it's, it's really starting to be hard to, to find the gems nowadays in, in DeFi. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So first people got in and then what happened? Well, about a day before we started the liquidity mining, well, several days before we started liquidity mining, we posted an article on Medium. Didn't get very much attention, but a few people that that I knew personally who I had told about the project really thought that this was going to you know, take off. Um, they thought that it was going to be like a big project. And so like the moment liquidity mining started, we still don't have any attention. We had you know, maybe like 20 followers on Twitter or something like that. There were maybe like a dozen people in the Discord. And within about an hour, I think like $30,000 had been deposited. And suddenly my, my heart just started racing. So so it's <laughs> like, oh man, what if, what if I messed something up in the contracts? I got it audited, but you know, I really need to be sure. So Because I hadn't launched anything previously that had actually held any significant amount of money. So I was just right. really nervous about it on that first day when suddenly... You know, my friend's money was uh, was at risk. So yeah. I think I think that night I just spent looking through all the code again, making sure that it was all good. Um, did you put your own money in there? I did, but I don't really have that much money in crypto, <laughs> so it wasn't that big of a deal to me. Um, gotcha. Yeah, but then from there, it just kind of started steadily growing. You know, day by day, it didn't really get big at all for a while. I think by the end of December. Like a week after we launched, maybe like, uh, I think less than 100 people in the Discord. And there was like a few hundred thousand dollars in it. And so, you know, it was it was starting to pick up some momentum. But when we launched, we did like a, like a short liquidity mining period to kind of get some initial users and get some feedback before we really tried to like, you know, push the thing out there. Yeah, just to quickly jump in. So liquidity mining, meaning that users who bought an index on indexed would get the governance token of NDX in return for yeah buying the index and then staking it or for providing liquidity on Uniswap in the pool where the D55 index or the CC10 index was traded. So I guess that incentivized people to deposit. But so you're saying the first liquidity mining wasn't really like crazy success, but then the second liquidity mining started, I think, on the 10th of January or something? Uh, it started on the 7th of January. Yeah, which is the same okay. day that the first, the first period ended. And that first period was just to... Yeah, in alpha, basically, just to get some initial feedback and just like battle test the uh, the product, right? Yeah, because we hadn't really gotten any users prior to that to like test it and test that or anything. It, it was just 
you know, myself and uh, Sam, who who had built the user interface, you know, just playing with it personally to see, you know, if everything works. But we wanted to actually get some real users messing with it to see if there's... So it was kind of test and prod, just that you had an audit already done, but it was test and prod in the sense that you had first users interacting with it. Yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah, let's let's go to the to the second part, so the second liquidity mining where things started to get really, really interesting. How did you experience that period? And then like maybe tell us a bit about like what happened. Yeah, so in the first one, it, like I said, it was really small. So when we launched the second one, it was a much larger liquidity mining. Uh, like the, the rewards were much higher. And so like right away, we started to see quite a bit more traction. Um, it still wasn't, you know, massive. Um, it wasn't anything to, you know, compared to like how, how quickly some other DeFi projects blow up. But it wasn't crazy, but it was still really exciting to start seeing a lot of people stream into the Discord and you know interacting with with the website and you know showing interest in what we were building and yet it just kind of started steadily gaining momentum each day we just started seeing interest on you know twitter we started seeing a lot more people getting interested in it asking more complicated questions about like how the product worked and everything so it's just really cool to start seeing some you know like some core people start showing up in the community who are showing interest like every day and interacting and helping you know, explain things to other users. Yeah, from at least from my perspective, what what really yeah, got the whole thing to another level was that Molly's involvement, right? The the founder of of Hedgic, the option trading platform, the anonymous developer and, and founder behind it, who also has a, a fund where she explicitly wants to support a solo developer in the space with their projects, invested in. In index finance, I think it was something like ninety thousand dollars, and tweeted about it, and and I think that is what what really brought it to to another level, right? Yeah, I mean that was crazy. As soon as she announced that she was that she had invested in it, you know, everything just massively accelerated instantly. Like within, I think, an hour of her doing that, we had like doubled our Discord number of users and. The website was getting a lot more growth. Yeah, that that was crazy. It's it's insane how uh, in DeFi everyone kind of follows the herd. If one famous person yeah sticks up for a project or or mentions it, especially if it's an investment, which really is a, a sign of, of of trust, it really brings a lot of a lot of attention on a on a project. And so where where my personal involvement got in, so I had actually heard about the project in December from someone on Discord that I didn't even really knew in real life or anything, just like a, a random DeFi internet friend. And he had told me about the project and I, I think I've, I had like given you a follow on Twitter or kind of like joined the Discord or something. And then in January, then I saw, I must have seen like the tweet of the second liquidity mining and... Yeah, I think I, I, that is when I, I got really interested in the project and started kind of like also raising awareness and yeah, getting more people. In. And, and it was for me also so interesting to see a project really growing from almost zero to, I mean, 10 million TVLs, thousands of people in the Discord 
one thing that I was wondering before we, <laughs> last thing before we really jump into the uh, nitty gritty details about the indexes, how do you feel as a kind of solo developer or founder? I know there's some people in the community now that, that help, but how do you feel um, about that? Is it a big burden? Do you feel a lot of pressure? I mean, you know, the, your contracts are holding so much money. How do you uh, deal with that? There is a lot of pressure. It's it's pretty stressful, but it's also very exciting to see people, you know, showing interest in it. But yeah, it's 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 definitely a lot of pressure to have ten million dollars of other people's money and contracts that I wrote. You know, not not really knowing how things are going to play out because. <clears throat> You know, we have the contracts audited, but that's not a guarantee. There hasn't been a lot of time for, you know, hackers to try attacking it or anything. I try to tell people, you know, this is new, but people are, you know, excited. They like to get involved in new things. So kind of just have to see how it goes. But, you know, each day, my confidence in the code builds a bit. Each, each day that goes by where there's a bunch of money and if it's not getting, you know, hacked and there's no vulnerabilities that are being found is is nice but then most of the stress really and most of the the pressure is trying to build this community quickly right because i have until march when this first liquidity money period ends to essentially make this thing self-sustaining where it can actually work as a decentralized community because my whole goal with this is with, with the way that i launched it is to be able to quickly dilute myself so that I don't have control over the protocol and the, you know, the community can. So I'm just trying to help, um, help people like understand what's going on and get involved in the governance of the project so that, you know, other, other people can, can kind of handle that um, yeah. in the future. Yeah, for sure. So the idea with dilution is that, so the, right now the liquidity mining is happening. So, people who are depositing the assets are getting these NDX tokens. And so in three months, you're saying the, the control of the protocol, like the majority of tokens will actually not be held by you anymore or any other team member, but really by randoms on the internet. And, and in that moment, the, the protocol will essentially be decentralized because to, to change anything to it, to make any changes, it would need to go through governance votes. And, and so you'd need to have these people get involved. But when you say dilute yourself, do you also think about making yourself as redundant or redundant enough to, to really like step away from it or just still continue to, to develop, to be part of the core team, but uh, have other people weigh in with, with their ideas? Yeah, well, I, I don't want to step back from it. I still definitely want to be involved in helping build out, you know, new features and, and things. And I'll still be involved with governance, like helping, helping like design, you know, new proposals and things to, to improve the protocol over time. But I want to not have to use the tokens that I have to like force through anything in governance. I really want it to become something where there's, you know, an, an active governance community that is making those decisions as a community rather than just the the core team that built the thing having control over it. So I don't plan to to step back. Still want to be involved, but I don't want to be like 
the dictator. The dictator, yeah. 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 Uh, and and how do you think that's going so far? The kind of handover to the community. Are you satisfied with the involvement so far? Yeah, I think it's going pretty well. We're about a fifth of the way through this time period that we have, and, and we're seeing a lot of people start getting involved in both the Discord and our forum, making suggestions for new features and starting to get you know more into depth in, in their discussion of like what the different features will look like. And so that that's really good to see. I'm trying to help foster that by you know, pointing out different aspects of the protocol when people bring up new features so that the more active people in the community kind of have a good understanding of what different uh, upgrades are going to look like. But yeah, I, th I think it's going well so far, but we definitely need to help grow that, you know, as time moves on. Yeah, for sure. And I think to come back to that point of, about kind of stress and responsibility as a as a solo founder i think the moment you have figured that out and the moment you have a community get involved you you essentially get rid of of that stress like it's the best way to reduce the stress for yourself is to decentralize essentially yeah definitely you know as soon as uh, i'm not having to handle like everything that that's definitely going to help a lot uh, let's talk a little bit about The index product. So I guess most people know what an index or an ETF in traditional finance is. So I think we, we can skip that part. Let's maybe yeah uh, go through what a, a decentralized index is and and how it works and how it differs from maybe yeah traditional index. And what are some of the, the challenges in, in, in building one? Yeah, so the main thing that's different with regard to a decentralized index versus a centralized one, just in general, is the fact that rather than like a corporation like uh, Standard and Poor deciding, you know, what the criteria are for inclusion of different assets and what the methodology is going to be for for the composition of the index, you have a DAO doing that. So you have, you know, on-chain governance. So you have to get a community of people involved in this rather than, you know, having a corporation that's, you know, handling billions and, you know, like hundreds of billions of dollars. So I think mm -hmm. there are some challenges there with just figuring out methodology. But then... uh What was the other question, sir? No, so basically how um, a decentralized index yeah, differs from, from one in traditional finance and what are the, the core components of a, of a decentralized index? Like how does it work, basically? Right, gotcha. So there are three things mainly that you have to solve when you're making a decentralized index. So that is selection of assets so you want to figure out like what are the criteria for inclusion right now what we're trying to do is define like kind of broad market sectors that are like a classification of different tokens on ethereum so you know right now we have DeFi and cryptocurrency right so DeFi, the way that we're defining that is tokens that are explicitly related to like financial products on ethereum so exchanges, lending, derivatives, things like that, rather mm -hmm. than just 
kind of anything, you know, on Ethereum, whereas cryptocurrency, the sector that we're using is kind of more broad. It's anything related to like governance or a protocol token or a wrapped native asset. So, you know, like wrapped Ether or wrapped Bitcoin or something. Or like an Oracle, for example, like Chainlink. Yeah, yeah. That's also part, I guess, of the CC10, no? Yeah, exactly. So it, it's just kind of anything that is, you know, on Ethereum and, and like part of the, you know, kind of infrastructure of the space, right? Mm -hmm. Is kind of the idea with that one. The other big piece of it is methodology. So that's, you know, how does the fund get managed? So once you've selected the assets, like how do you weigh them to determine, you know, how much of each asset is going to be held in an index? That That's another challenging one. The way that we're handling that is at the moment, we just have a, a single methodology at the moment. We're looking to expand it in the future. But right now, the way that works is we take the market cap of each token and then we take the square root of it. Well, maybe I should explain first. So typically with an index fund, the way that they weight the assets in the fund is to just compare their market caps. So the idea is, you know, if you have a larger company that, you know, has been around for a long time and has like a really large market cap, it's going to represent a larger share of the index. And if you have mm -hmm. a smaller one, then, you know, it's, it's less. And then each time you rebalance, then, you know, you'll increase the the share of the assets that are appreciating, de decrease the share of the assets that are depreciating, and so on. So mm -hmm. that that is how the vast majority of typical index funds, like on the stock exchange, work. And it works pretty well because, you know, on, with stocks for typical companies on the stock exchange, there uh, there's a lot more very large companies where the number one and number two uh, stocks aren't going to have a market cap difference of like an order of magnitude. So that works out pretty well. But in DeFi, that doesn't really work as well because if you were to take just the 10 top assets by market cap and compare and just like weight them by exact market cap, then the top asset might have like 80% of the fund and the bottom one might have like half a percent even mm. though it's a super volatile market. So you kind of want to represent some of the smaller assets a little bit more than that. Right. And I mean, what would be the point of having an index if 80% of it is in one token? Then I guess you could just buy the one token straight away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when I was looking into how to kind of address this, I was looking for different like cryptocurrency and DeFi indices that people have made and I found one from like 2017 this project's called um I think it was CCI 30 and I'm pretty sure it was just an index not like an index fund meaning that it like started out at a given price and they would do like a virtual portfolio and like virtual rebalances every once in a while but it didn't actually hold any assets But anyways, what they did was they weighted the assets by the square root of their market cap. And what that did is kind of, 
it brought the assets a lot closer together so that you had a much better representation of you know the the assets that are being tracked so the smaller ones wouldn't have you know like a quarter of a percent they would have like half a percent or one or two percent um and this was a you know 30 different assets and the top ones would have you know maybe like 10 percent at the most so uh and and that's performed really well since 2017 so i really like that idea um and i brought that over to to this one and so this index that you where you found your inspiration this was a centralized index this was a company running this but you just liked their way of weighing the assets within their index so you brought this concept over to defi or was this actually a an index in the defi space no it was it was just like a website and it was a company that was running it like i said i don't think that it was actually an index fund i think it was just an index like tracker so it wasn't something that people could like invest in anyways but yeah i, I just i thought the idea applied really well to this space so i you know i, I ran some like simulations to see how it would do with just random erc20 tokens and it, it seemed to work out pretty well so that was kind of what i built into this first system mm -hmm. uh, so in order to actually like measure the market cap and, and weight the assets. There's like a couple of different things that you could do when building a, a decentralized system. So one would be, you know, if you have governance in place, then you could just have the, you know, the people in the governance organization go manually, like check what the market caps are on, you know, like coin market cap or coin gecko or something, just check that off chain and then have everybody kind of agree that these are the market caps they observed and then, you know, calculate the resulting weights and push them on chain mm -hmm. and, and, you know, just have governance do that every once in a while, whenever you want to like update the portfolio Mates. composition. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So that, that's one option. Another option that I, I realized would, would probably be simpler And, and not require as much interaction and also be um, kind of more in keeping with, you know, the ethos of decentralization was mm -hmm. to just have that handled by an Oracle on-chain since there's, you know, a lot of pretty liquid markets on Ethereum. You can just rely on, you know, prices that are being used on-chain to, to measure that. So... Yeah, so we use the Uniswap Oracle to to calculate the market caps, and we do all the weighting and all the indexing methodology using contracts on chain, so that governance doesn't really need to get that involved in like regular maintenance. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now I get that we have the the methodology that that matters. So, like, which assets do I want to track with this index? How do I initially weight them? And then it also needs to rebalance because one asset in the index might appreciate, another might depreciate. And so since you want this index to accurately track all these tokens, it needs to change its, its, its components from time to time, which is called rebalancing. But how does the, the rebalancing work? Because I think this, this is one... Yeah, important component, right? This, I, I understand that this information comes from oracles, so price oracles from, from Uniswap. This is how the index knows 
the price of these assets and, and their market cap. But how, how does the actual like reshuffling of the components within the index then work? Yeah. So when I was looking into this initially, there were a couple of obvious options that came to mind. So one would be to, you know, if you already have the Uniswap Oracle, you could just, when you go to rebalance, you could say, you know, I want to get a hundred more of Link and maybe like reduce the amount of SNX by like 50 or something. And then you could just check what the prices are on chain with the Oracle and then just kind of swap them with on-chain markets or do like an auction or something like that. So those are kind of the obvious choices. But when we decided to go with Balancer to kind of increase the revenue of the assets with, with swap fees and things, what I realized is that you can just, you can use the market that the portfolio like is since it's an AMM, you can just use that market to actually handle all of the rebalancing by just slightly adjusting the prices incrementally over time. So the way that works is like to so say we want to increase the link and that we have in the portfolio, decrease the SNX. What we do is every once in a while, like once an hour for you know however long it takes, we shift the price between those two assets a little bit such that you know an arbitrager will have an incentive to to buy the asset that we want to get rid of and sell the asset that we want to get more of and this happens like in in really small amounts so the index still loses a little bit to arbitrage but it's not it's not that significant and so we just do that a bunch of times over the space of like a week. And over time, it allows you to kind of rebalance the whole thing as much as you want without having to deal with other on-chain markets. So you don't have to deal with like slippage as much. Um, you earn swap fees instead of paying them. And it, it just seems a lot more clean. So this is this kind of idea is also what PyDAO is doing for their indices and it's something that balancer has a product for with like these liquidity bootstrapping pools but it's a pretty neat mechanism to avoid you know like slippage on uniswap right because if you were to trade with that it, it can get kind of complicated and you need people to like manually be triggering like individual swaps and things while you're like rebalancing yeah and even the Multi-asset pools are not really possible on Uniswap, right? Yeah, no. So you'd have to do it with like individual pairs. It, it really seems a bit like magic, doesn't it? You have this completely decentralized protocol where anyone who holds the governance token can kind of decide which index products to build and deploy next and how it should be weighted, like what should go in it. And then once it's kind of on chain, it just does its thing. There's no human intervention needed anymore, because as you said, this this reshuffling of the of the weights happens automatically as arbitrage traders make use of these changing prices that are changing because the pool listens to price events on on Uniswap. 
And so it just, it just happens kind of automatically. And in addition to that, you also earn trading fees because these traders pay fees for, for trading with the pool. So that is kind of crazy. So how important do you think the fact that the index earns trading fees in addition to yeah, tracking the price of its underlying tokens? So me as a holder of DeFi 5, I, I don't just yeah, have exposure to the, to the price of the five DeFi assets in the index, but I also earn these trading fees on top. How, how important do you think these trading fees are to the performance of, of this index? I think is really important because if you if you have a lot of liquidity in an index, you know, on chain, there's a ton of different DeFi systems that are existing on the same chain, right? And they're all composable. So if you have this kind of massive financial ecosystem and you have a lot of liquidity on it, then I think it makes a lot more sense to to kind of use that liquidity to get additional revenue, which isn't something that you can really do in a risk-free manner, like with a typical index fund with like, you know, the SPY or something. So what that looks like on, on chain is if you, if you do it with a AMM, the way we do, like with, with Balancer, you introduce the potential for additional growth with the swap fees, but you also have a bit of a risk that there will be impermanent loss. So, you know, if, if the prices are changing too often or there's not enough trade volume and the pools are just getting arbitraged every time there's a price difference, then you kind of are just better off to actually hold the assets. But if there's high volume or the tokens aren't being constantly swapped, but just whenever there's like a significant price difference, then that's that's when you're able to kind of get more revenue from it and and mm-hmm. you know have have additional growth rather than rather than being subject to a lot of impermanent loss right so that's mm-hmm. the reason that we want to use like uniswap pairs to provide liquidity to try to do the same thing but with with these pools we set a kind of high fee on the market and I did a ton of backtesting, checking like which fees work best to, you know, kind of to kind yeah, of like find optimal fees. Yeah, exactly. To, to find the optimal balance of, you know, like potential for additional growth versus risk of uh, impermanent loss. And we settled on like two and a half percent, which in like every test I ran showed that, you know, it would generate growth rather than loss as long as there's somewhere around like 5% volume per day, mm. which, which we've exceeded every day. And has the evidence proved you correct so far? Yeah, I would say so. The pools have grown pretty substantially. The DeFi 5 index, when we launched it, was we're at actually both ind- indices when we launched them were at $20. DeFi 5 is now at... I think it's at 45. It was at 50 yesterday, but DeFi has been going down a little bit today. And the CC10 index is at like 37 or so. So they've Mm. they've both grown pretty consistently. Cool. Could you walk us through the process of of launching an index? So could I, for example, 
yeah, imagine I have this idea of creating a new index that I want to track all the Oracle projects in the space. So link, API3, band protocol. I want to create this, this index. I have this idea. What would the process be like? So the process would essentially just be going on the forum and our Discord, you know, suggesting a new index saying kind of what the criteria would be. And what we're really looking for is like a well-defined market sector. So something like Oracle's would be great because that's like a specific class of assets that we could actually track like a market for. So yeah, what what we would need to do is, you know, define what the criteria is to determine like which assets are included. And then, you know, just suggest it to governance, discuss it a bit, figure out which assets like are on the market now that would fit well to kind of get this thing started. And then, you know, if the other people in the community agreed that it was a good idea, then we could start tracking that. Okay. And then, so... I guess this is the the part where yeah the 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 idea the the governance discussing this in the forums but what would happen then I mean the the let's 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 call it the deployment how how does that look like so first of all there would be a vote right how 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 does it go from an idea in the forum to a to a vote so the first thing would be uh, making a vote on Snapchat, Snapshot, which is, you know, like our off-chain voting system. So, you know, other people who have NDX can kind of show that they support this idea and they will vote for it on chain, but without having to pay any gas fees initially, just to like determine whether or not it's even, you know, something that has enough support to possibly succeed. So mm-hmm. if that goes well, then you would submit it on chain. Now, in order to submit an on-chain proposal, people have to have 100,000 NDX. The reason for that is to ensure that you know people aren't just throwing up garbage proposals all the time that are going to like flood the governance, and to make sure that the people who are suggesting things that can actually take effect on the on-chain contracts are people who have like a major stake in the protocol. So. While we're so still... the person that that uh, suggests it needs to have at least hundred thousand NDX, or the the person that submits the proposal on chain. Yeah, the person who submits the proposal on chain. Okay. So so what we're doing right now, while we're still in this kind of initial distribution phase, because most people don't have a hundred thousand NDX. In fact, I think the only person who does outside of the team is Molly who, you know, invested. Mm -hmm. Um, So what we're doing right now is we're saying if a snapshot vote gets a quorum, so if if it has 50,000 votes cast in total by other NDX holders, and it has a majority approval in favor of whatever the proposal is, then we, you know, the core team will submit it on chain. And if it hits the same quorum on chain, with you know fifty thousand votes cast and majority approval, then we will go ahead and vote for it, vote in favor mm-hmm. of it after after two days. So there's a three day voting period. So, so yeah, if it has if it meets that that quorum, then we'll push it through on chain. This is just what we're doing like right now to kind of make the system work without completely relying on us, where we're not like yeah. actually making all the decisions. Um, 
but that that kind of system will, will probably uh, go away, you know, sometime in late February or March once once there are more uh, active people with with larger stakes in the token. Mm. Yeah, I hope I will have hundred thousand so I can put all my ideas to work. Yeah, the, the last thing that I would like to understand is how does the deployment then work? Like, the, how is the index then kind of yeah built? So I, I have this idea, I, uh, it, you know, with the Oracle index and it passed the vote. What happens next? So in, in that proposal on chain, there would probably be two things included. So one would be creating the market sector. So like in our controller contract that we have on chain, it, track, or it has different lists of assets which represent these market sectors that are defined by governance. So you would um, you create the list, first of all, and in that proposal, it would also add the initial tokens that people had kind of agreed like fit this market sector. And then we would deploy the index through governance. It, it could be in the same boat. We'd have to update the Oracle beforehand. But yeah, so, so you would deploy the index in the same proposal and just specify like what the, what the size of the new index is. So the size is used to determine like how large or how many assets out of the sector are going to be tracked. So like with the DeFi sector, we have, I think, like eight tokens in there, but the pool has five, right? And with CC10, I think there's like 16 or 17 tokens in the sector, but the pool is mm -hmm. 10, right? So, so when the index is deployed, what happens is the controller takes the market caps of all the tokens in the sector it sorts the tokens uh, by, you know, by their market cap. So just um, in descending order. And then when the pool is deployed, it just takes the top tokens in its list by whatever the, the size is. So you could say, you know, like I want to deploy a top five Oracle tokens index. And you would just specify that the size is five. And then when the pool is deployed, it, it would just use the top five assets in that sector. Okay. And who would kind of bootstrap the, the pool with its yeah, underlying components? So when, when this index is deployed, is there, does it start with some, some money in it? Is there some, let's say in the, in the case of this Oracle index, is there some link in it? Is there some API 3 in it? Or is it just an empty sort of contract and then people have to start kind of putting money in there? Yes, yeah, so the way that we set this up is we didn't want the governance itself, like the governance treasury, to have to have a ton of different tokens. So, and we don't want the person who you know, creates the proposal to have to have the assets because they could just be thinking it's like a cool sector to track, but not actually have you know, all the tokens. So mm -hmm. the way it works is um, when, the, when a new index is deployed, there's like a crowdfunding contract that gets created. Um, so the, the controller will, you know, set the initial weights based on, you know, that market cap square root thing. And when it's deployed, the, the proposer has to select like, what's the target value for the first 100 tokens in the index. And then that's just specified in Ether. And uh, when this crowdfunding contract is deployed, it basically just like uses the token prices from Uniswap 
to determine what the initial balance in each of the assets should be. And then anyone can contribute a part of each token's balance to kind of like help bootstrap the pool. And they'll be credited for whatever the value of the token is at the time that they contribute it. Uh, And then once all of the target balances are reached, the actual AMM, the actual index pool will be initialized and all those tokens will be transferred to it. And then um, the the people who contributed the, the first 100 can claim, you know, like a share of the 100 tokens based on the amount that they contributed. That's uh, really so cool. It's it's just such a change to traditional finance. I, I, I'm really, uh, yeah, kind of mind blown when, when I hear this. One um, question, because I mean, now we understand really well, I guess, how the index finance protocol works, but we know that there's some other index projects. So I know one question that comes a lot is like, what's the difference uh, from index finance with, for example, DPY? Uh, so the, the DeFi Pulse Index, which I think is the biggest uh, index currently with like $50 million in um, total value locked. Mm. Now that we understand how index works, can you kind of compare and contrast the two systems? Yeah, so there's a few major differences. So one is the actual portfolio structure. So with with our indices, like each index is an AMM, like a balancer pool that's been modified, as we talked about. So, you know, like it generates additional fees with, you know, as people are swapping. And, you know, it uses the market to execute the rebalances. With DPI, it's a token set, so it uses set protocol. And it just holds the assets in, you know, the weights that have been uh, selected. So, you know, if you want to join that index, if you want to mint new tokens, you have to just provide the assets kind of the, you know, the same way as, as ours works, more or less. But then those are just held until each rebalance. So that's the first major difference. The other one is how the rebalances actually happen. With DPI, the people who are like handling governance and the methodologist who like helps design the index will go and look at CoinGecko to get the tokens market caps from there. And then they'll just kind of manually off-chain calculate the new weights. They'll have governance, you know, agree that like the new weights represent what they should be. And then they'll just push it on chain to set the new targets. And then they'll use they'll use on-chain markets to to swap the tokens just within the space of like a day. So they rebalance once a month. And then about a week after they set the new weights, they'll use on-chain markets to um, mm. swap all the tokens to to re Yeah, to, to change it to composition. Yeah, I think two things that kind of come to mind when you compare and, and contrast it to these two systems is that, like in the in the indexed way, you don't have to rely on on governance, right? When the index is deployed, once it's deployed, it it just does its thing completely on chain automatically. It changes its weights, it rebalances, as as we say. Whereas in DPY way, you have actually like yeah like a governance who who has to 
do the, the whole operations behind it. So once a month they come together and then they decide like they like you said they look at CoinGecko. They say okay these are the new weights. They submit this on chain, and then they have to do the trades to change to buy more of the tokens that they want to add and less and, and sell some of the tokens that they want to decrease their weight in. So that brings me to the, the second thing that is different is that there the, the buying and selling happens once a month. And so you might have a risk that you're buying at kind of peak prices or at bad prices, whereas in the index way, the buying and selling happens kind of gradually every second, more or less, which means that the the, the prices are more uh, averaged out, right, over the whole month. Is this a factor that, that would improve also the, the performance like over a long time period? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, and and the other thing is, so like you, like you said, you could be buying at peak prices or selling at you know very low prices, but you're also subject to whatever slippage there is on you know the on-chain markets, and you also have to pay fees to those other markets, right? Whereas with these index uh, index pools, we're you know generating fees from the swaps. So there's there's a number of differences there, and overall, I think um, that they have lower performance generally. We've only been out for you know about a month, so it's it's kind of hard to make a concrete judgment about that. But so far, the performance I think has, has shown that this this method works a bit better. Yeah, I have actually compared the the two performances. Like in the last month, so seeing that the D55 index launched on December 20, we yeah it increased by 145 percent, whereas the DPI increased by 101 percent. Yeah, there, there's a there's a difference in performance. I don't know how much of it is also due to just having different tokens. I, I'm not sure if the the tokens are different, right, in the D55 than in the DPI. Yeah, they have 10 tokens okay. and there are a couple of tokens that they have in that index that aren't being tracked in the CC10 one either. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess it, it's not really 100% comparable only. The difference in performance is not only due to these trading fees that uh, indexed finance generates and that uh, DPI doesn't generate. It could also be the tokens, basically, the different assets that it holds and tracks. Yeah, yeah, there, yeah. there's quite a few differences between them, so they're not directly comparable. Mm. Yeah, I mean, just to finish this off, let's kind of go through where you see this project going or like where you see major growth areas or ideas that you have to, to you know, have a big impact in the, in the space. So I think the... the Initial focus is going to be twofold. So it's going to be both, you know, trying to get the community more involved, but it's also going to be trying to track different market sectors. So, you know, right now we have these kind of DeFi and, and cryptocurrency pools, but those are pretty broad. So in the next like month or so, I want to get a few more indices up tracking specific sectors. So you mentioned like oracles, that's been something that's suggested. People have also been, um, talking about having an index for like different lending protocols. I think that sounds really cool. So, you know, we're trying to get that up here pretty soon. Beyond that, I want to start exploring different 
methodologies and different structures for the pools. So, you know, right now we're using a forked balancer pool as like the structure for each index, but Bento Bento Box from SushiSwap is coming out soon. I keep hearing pretty interesting things about how that works. So I want to do some experimentation with, you know, having all the tokens in index being held as, you know, like liquidity tokens in a bento box. So, you know, they're both getting swapped and being like lended. And I want to kind of compare how the how the revenue from like interest from loans compares to, you know, fees and swaps. And yeah, beyond that, I just kind of want to explore all the different possibilities for for the different indexing methodologies, the different structures, different market sectors to track, and you know get get the community more involved and in, in helping make all these decisions. Yeah, do you kind of target mostly DeFi native users with this index because theoretically it would also be super interesting for you know uh, people like. Uh, let's say my mom, you know, who doesn't know how to use MetaMask and how to use the the index finance DAP to, you know, somehow close partnerships with wallets that are easy to use where less crypto savvy people can just buy it in one click or is is that also your, your target audience or do you really like just want to go for the, the DeFi crowd? No, yeah, we definitely want to help make this more more user-friendly for people who aren't as experienced with like DeFi stuff. So we're looking at a couple of different providers of, you know, like like fiat onboarding, we're looking at a couple of different services for that. And that is definitely something I want to integrate, you know, in the next month or two, you know, as as we're kind of figuring out what that looks like. But I think most likely the, the way that would work you know, once we're able to set it up is you would be able to use, you know, like Transac or Wire or something like that and just you know, like pay with a debit card with some cash and it'll mint these index tokens and then maybe use like Taurus or something like that. Maybe um, Taurus or Fortmatic. So you can just use like your phone number or like your Gmail account for your wallet instead of having to deal with like a browser extension and all of that. So that, that's definitely something we're interested in. Yeah, that would be super cool. Thank you so much, Dylan, to have us walk through your amazing project. I'm really, really curious to to see how this evolves and yeah, continue following. Awesome. Well, thanks, Lido. Hey, it's me again. I hope you liked this episode. If you did, please feel free to share it with your friends and family or give us a follow on, on Twitter or LinkedIn. And if you have some feedback, reach out to me. I'd love to hear.